want to share a time recently, the last probably two weeks ago, uh, when my time in prayer was amazing. Uh, you know, a lot of time we'll get down to pray, and, and you know we're we're praying and we're we're receiving some consolation in our spirit. But this was an amazing time because as I was praying, it was like the Lord, you know, sometimes the Lord will speak to his people in such a way where you can understand the words. You know, it's in your spirit. Like I've had several times where just a sentence would drop in my spirit uh, and it would be exactly what I needed. Uh, But it would actually be words. Uh, you know that I, I didn't hear it with my natural ear but it, it the best way I can explain it is that it, it dropped in my spirit uh, but it would actually be specific words and this it's happened several times but it doesn't happen all the time I mean it's, it's pretty rare but uh, and it's usually when I'm seeking God for something in particular uh, you know and he answers hallelujah well, I was, uh, I was, I'd just been working on the book, uh, the Salvation Bible Commentary, extensively, and um, but I got down to pray, and it was like it was amazing, you know, and and I even remember uh, telling God during that time of prayer that it was, you know, now I know, you know, we see people. They pray all night like Jesus. He, he spent all night in prayer to God, etc. And sometimes it seems like prayer is a labor. You know, like you're just you're just forcing yourself, forcing yourself to pray. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. That's 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 what we should do. Uh, you know, in sincerity. But this particular time of prayer was. It was. I remember uh, telling God, like now I understand how prayer is so uh, it, it's not a labor whenever God is speaking clearly to you uh, because he was speaking clearly to me I mean it was it was something man it was like you could sit there all day long and just absorb the the truth that he was telling you and um, never had an experience like that where it was so uh, so just ongoing uh, but the lesson there was a specific lesson that he was teaching me and the lesson was what I needed and the next day I'll tell you the lesson but the next day I was excited <laughs> I was excited because I was like man that was such a great time of prayer I want to I want to go back and pray so I can experience the same thing and I get down to pray, and I'm not hearing clear. You know, I'm not hearing like I did the day before. It's like you know my regular time of prayer, where you know you're not you're not getting that clear uh, message. But but the day prior, the lesson was this. This is a summary of it. That in the same way. Okay, like a lot of times what we do as Christians, we'll wait, we'll pray, but we'll wait until we 
uh, are really in a bind or really in a straight. You know, we got a bad situation, and when that happens, man, we'll press in to God. We'll we'll fast. We'll pray. We'll seek His face. We'll seek for an answer. Seek for help. Seek for help, and He comes and rescues us. You know, it may it, it's usually not when we think He or how we think He will, but He always takes care of it when we seek Him. And the lesson was that just like we do that and he answers if we don't wait you know instead of waiting till we get into a bad situation to seek him like that if we sought if we seek him like that for uh, a move of the spirit if we just keep seeking him the the strength uh, and the the elevation spiritually will correspond to that so in other words don't wait you see how he responds whenever you fast and pray uh, whenever you're in a hard situation but instead of letting that trial push you into that mode of seeking him you know have uh, aspirations for ministry have aspirations for revival and seek him uh, in that regard you know diligently seek him He's a rewarder, the Bible says, of those that diligently seek him. And and it was, to, for one, that was a, just such a great lesson uh, because it's like a, a mandate that, you know, seek and you'll find, you know. I mean, it, it, it's simple, and that's the way it usually is. You know, whenever God will, will drop those sentences in my spirit, it's really usually something very simple, you know, but exactly what I needed to hear. But that was a, a profound lesson. And the next day I get down and I wasn't getting it like the day before. It's like I was, you know, my regular prayer time where you, where you pray, but, you know, you're praying in faith and you're not, you're not having that clear communion. Uh, but it was a lesson I needed. And maybe that's why he stopped doing it because he wants me to really ponder what he was telling me and uh, and so and it was timely too because as I'm finishing the, you know it, this is the way that my mind has been man I just got to finish these books and so uh, you know as I finish them I I feel like feel like I'm crossing the finish line you know what I'm saying like like I did it man I did what I was called to do but I believe he's given me a mandate or a, a a direction to tell me this is where you go from here that is seeking God's face and if we'll do that he'll answer he'll answer You know, when you read about the, the life of Jesus, when he was 12 years old, he was in the temple asking questions and, and, uh, and they were amazed at the things he was saying when he was 12 years old. But he was learning, you know, he was learning uh, at that age. And he grew uh, and then he got older and then 
that's when God, you know, put him out publicly and he did his amazing work. When you read in Mark chapter 16 and also Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about how God would back up, you know, would testify to the words that the apostles were speaking with signs and miracles. So God was affirming their message by signs and miracles. He confirmed it. You know, he, he it wasn't just miracles done just for no reason, but it was a confirmation of what they were saying. And so the 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 doctrine what we're saying needs to be correct before we can reasonably expect that God would confirm it like we see in Mark 16 Hebrews 2 by miracles and signs and stuff. Okay. I think we I think we get it backwards a lot of time in Christianity. A lot of churches, man, they're just like, you know, and I'm not I'm not boo-hooing, you know, but we I think this is a good and correct uh, observation that we need to have the doctrine right first because there a lot of time people are so fast and loose with what the Bible says I mean you listen to these preachers and gospel artists and stuff and I mean the doctrine is all it, it, it's just kind of anywhere you know that uh, modern day churches and I'm speaking you know more about Pentecostal churches because I, I fully believe in uh, Pentecostal churches, you know, the moving of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, that's real. And, and that's what we need is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to serve God as we should. And so, but in the, in the modern day Pentecostal churches, uh, there's, there's a lot of lacking in emphasis minimalization of emphasis on rightly dividing the word of truth you know, there's been a lot of uh, tradition just assumed as correct not a lot of bible study going on uh, and in and, and some extreme cases there's you know a lot of just cliches and, and, and hype that has completely left a vacuum for knowledge. You know, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, says God. So, the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and that's what's going on because the the Pentecostal churches, a lot of them, have backed away from careful study of the scripture and making sure that what they're saying is accurate and they're just regurgitating tradition without any uh, you know ongoing study or learning to see hey is our tradition correct because the Protestants you know there's basically two branches you got Protestantism and then Catholicism and the Protestants broke away from the Catholics. You know, that's what the whole Martin Luther thing, you know, hear the, about the Reformation and, you know, things. There have been a little offshoots, but 
there was a lot of baggage, theological baggage that came with Catholicism as they, you know, they were corrupted over the centuries, and that's what, uh, you know, resulted in the Protestants, which is it, it means Protestant, Protestant, Protestant. They were protesting against corruption going on in the Catholic Church, and so they broke away. Well, they broke away, but they maintained, they retained a lot of the error that was still going on in Catholicism and, and then brought in some new error as well. And that's where you get all this Calvinist stuff from. It's a lot of, a lot of error. It wasn't, it wasn't originated with Calvin. Uh, you can see the origination of it uh, in like Augustine. Uh, but, you know, and there were some, actually if you look at Gnosticism, some of the Gnostic groups believes things that a lot of the Calvinists believe today. You know, just different, kind of different uh, takes on it. But basically the whole once save, always save, you know, and uh, type thing. But there's the, the churches these days have retained a lot of the baggage that was passed on to them from Roman Catholicism. And people are not questioning, you know, whether that tradition is true or not. And the ones that that are that seem like they're really going into the Bible and trying to make a scriptural case are the Calvinists most of the time. There's just some exceptions, thanks be to God, but the Calvinists, and they think they got a a they're the ones with the truth, and everybody else is just shallow, but the book that I put together, the Salvation Bible Commentary, it shows that Calvinism is not biblical. It shows that the earliest Christians, uh, even after the Bible was written, did not believe these Calvinist doctrines. Once save, always save is not biblical. Uh, Calvinism is not biblical. And, I, and that book goes through, it's over 700 pages. Each of those scriptures that they try to use and shows that that is not what it means. It, the Bible does not prove Calvinism. It, it doesn't support Calvinism. It refutes Calvinism. Calvinism does not fit in the Bible. It does not fit. That is, God is not a Calvinist God. He's not uh, the uh, the monster that Calvinism makes him out to be. You know, in that Salvation Bible commentary, you go to that entry on Ephesians 1.11, and you can see under my entry, because it's a parallel commentary, so I have different uh, commentators' entries in there. But under mine, I quote a Calvinist. He says that God not only allows evil in the universe, but he makes it happen. And he says as, as, as unacceptable as it may seem at the current time, God makes the sexual abuse of young children happen. He causes it. He has ordained it. And that's what Calvinists believe. You know, think, you know, there's a lot of them blush at the at the admission of where their doctrine takes them to, but that is they, you know, they they believe that God makes people uh, with the desire to just show his wrath in them. He doesn't want to save them.
He has no desire to save people. Like he creates them. They're born predestined for destruction and there is no God has no desire to save them. Jesus they'll, they'll tell you Jesus did not die for them. The acronym, the tulip acronym, the L stands for limited atonement. Limited atonement means according to them Jesus did not die for everybody. Jesus' blood was not shed for them. And there's no way they're going to be saved. So they, they say, well, God only wants to save some. You know, they don't believe in free will. Uh, they believe that God basically puppets everything that goes on. God puppets everything. You know, and they'll use different, you know, words to convey this meaning. But that's, that's what they believe. You know. And that is not the God of the Bible. So when you read uh, the Salvation Bible Commentary, you can understand uh, the truth of the matter. But we need it. You know, we need to have the doctrine, the correct doctrine first, before we can logically expect God to confirm it. Now, God is merciful, and I mean, he, God is merciful, and He'll He'll help His people. You know, He He, he helps the people that are in need if they cry out to Him, etc. But when we're talking about a move of God. We want a revival. We want a move of God. We want a shift. There needs to be truth that precedes that. You know, it broke my heart the other day when I was watching YouTube and I seen a video by Juanita Bynum preaching, you know, and I used to, I used to love listening to that woman of God preach. Man, I'll tell you one day, she, I went and heard her preach. I was a young man. Heard her preach in Dallas and she she called me up on stage. And uh, it was a, I'll go ahead and share the testimony. It's a beautiful testimony. Uh, I went, I came from Fort Worth to go to go hear her preach because I knew she was coming to Dallas. And uh, I was very excited about it. And so I, I went to Dallas. I mean, this is when she was moving heavy in the anointing, man. I went to Dallas to this particular church where she was going to preach at. Well, the whole the whole church was the, the sanctuary was filled up. There was one seat on the back row, one seat that was not nobody was sitting in it. And I was just so happy. I took the seat, you know. I was like, yes, I got a seat, and that's the last seat in here. And uh, and you know, I, I'm saying this to the glory of God. That there was a lady that was came in after me she was walking up and down the aisle looking for a seat she was by herself she was walking it wasn't like she was giving up you know she was looking intently for a seat back and forth and you know I it's like I felt the Holy Spirit you know and, and I I I said in my, my heart you know I didn't come here for a person I came here to receive something from God and I believe if I give up my seat so that somebody else can get can receive from the Lord that God will bless me for it. They had an overflow room where you could uh, go back there and listen to, you know, and see it on a widescreen. And you could, you know, listen to the message. You just had to sit in a back room and watch it on the screen. But it'd be live, right? And so I knew about that. And so I, I told them, ma'am, you can have my seat. And, uh, and I gave her my seat and I went to the overflow room. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching the... I'm watching her preach, man, and it was, you know, it was a shame what was going on there. The people were actually doing the electric slide 
in the in the front during praise and worship. Electric slide, literally. In it was it's a choreographed dance, and they were they were doing the electric in, in sync. There was probably twenty people at least doing the electric slide up there to the praise and worship song. Literally. And Juanita Bynum come out and she starts rebuking, you know, and rightfully so, because it was a hot mess. And I'm telling her she was going in, man. She, it, was, it was classic Juanita Bynum, you know, that heavy word. And I, I, it was it was a wonderful word, a serious word. And uh, and she, you know, was uh, people started going down to get prayer at the front. Well, I, I got up and I, I walked out and I was walking back to the sanctuary because you don't need a seat to walk down the aisle and go get prayer, right? So I, I walked. There were two entrances to go into the sanctuary and uh, one of them, uh, there was a guy sitting there and I heard him talking to the usher that was at the door telling him, don't let anybody else in because it's getting too packed. And there was an usher at the other door. Well, I... I turned from the one where the guy said don't let him in and I walked to where the other usher was and he was listening in to what the guy was saying. <laughs> and so I just put my hand on his shoulder and walked past him and I, and he didn't stop me. Uh, and so it was like I had the last seat in the whole sanctuary and I gave it up and then I, I don't know if anybody was able to get in after me but I, I think I was the last person to get in from outside of the sanctuary. And so it was like a, it was like God was working on my behalf, and uh, and so you know people were filling up the aisles. I couldn't get to the front, so I was you know worshiping God in the aisle, and you know a, a, a few minutes passed, and people started going back to their seat. Well, so the aisle cleared up, the altar area cleared up some. I mean, there were still a lot of people, uh, but. I was able to uh, make my way closer to the front, and Juanita Bynum was still, you know, ministering up there, and she was just walking back and forth, and uh, and she said, she's saying something like, uh, "God has something for somebody here. I have to uh, have something for somebody here," and it was like a specific. Uh, there was something going on. She was saying, I've, I've got something to give to somebody here. And and in my heart, and I was standing up there by the altar, you know, by the stage at this point in time. And I was, and I was just, she was walking back and forth, looking at all the people standing there. And in my heart, I was just like, God, please let it be me. Please let it be me. Because you don't realize how, how, how much I gleaned from what God was doing in her life back then. And, uh, and she pointed to me, and I was the first person she pointed to and told me to come up on the stage. And she laid her hands on me. And I'll tell you, I, that, that was it. Like, there wasn't no big, later, and I, I was out, man. I, I got taken off my feet. Uh, and I was, I, I felt a, a surge uh, of power go through me. And it wasn't from my head to my feet, she, she put her hands on me, and then I fell backwards, but my feet were closest to her, and the surge came through my feet. It came through my feet towards my head. I could feel it going through. It was like 
moving through my body and it, it came through my feet and went up and, and went over my whole body or into my whole body you know I could feel it and uh, and man I got and you know you see the Pentecostal churches people what they call what they call shouting it's not biblically what it means to shout but you know the dancing and uh, rejoicing and I really don't do that much very rare but I that was the first time I did it and I it was like all oh, I didn't care you know I was so moved in the spirit and uh, but that was an amazing experience and oh man it was it was it was God and then I hear you know years passed and I hear a message that she preached and I know she didn't teach once save always save beforehand I know she didn't and she she was saying things she was teaching Calvinism it's on YouTube right now it's a message called something like hearing from God or how to hear from God or hearing the voice of God and um, she was saying you can't backslide even if you want to and you know talking about predestination and the folks out there that aren't saved they can't be saved you know and, and stuff like that and uh, you know it, it, I know she I know it was Calvinism and it, it was breaking my heart because she was such a soldier for the truth you know and and she, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not slamming her integrity, because there are scriptures that seem to show Calvinism is true, and that's that's ergo the need for the book. You know, that book was a whole lot of work, and I wasn't just doing it because I felt like doing it. That book was like death to me, man. Nobody knows, man. I tell you, man. Yeah, I'm glad God sees. I just finished it yesterday, man. I, you know, I, I, I finish it and then I'll go back and I'll do some, you know, minor edits. You know, I find a typo, or I'll need to make an adjustment on something. And yesterday I was literally sitting there, man, crying, man, because you don't understand how much it takes. And it, and it, and it came to my mind, man. The, the ones who sow in tears will reap in joy. And you know, blessed are those who weep now. But I'm not dogging out Juanita Bynum at all. But it broke my heart. And I want to, I wish I could just put the book in her hand. But look at the state of the churches, man. It, it, it's just... They need help. If you can get the book, and I'm not... Look at the price on the book. I priced it as low as I can. Like, you know, marked up a few cents just to make it a rounded off number, but not... A dollar, you know. If you can get the the book, get it. the The Kindle version is like two ninety nine. I think I could have made it ninety nine cents or 
but I found, and I only raised it because people slander stuff, and I, you know, I think it ain't gonna hurt nobody two ninety nine, and it ain't gonna put no money in my pocket. It might put a dollar in my pocket. I don't even know. I didn't do it for that, but I just don't want people to just see ninety nine cents. Well, I can just buy this without even, you know. It's kind of a deterrent. And that's, God is my witness. It is a deterrent. That's why I put it at least $2.99 to deter people who would just willy-nilly just think, oh, 99 cents, let me get this. Oh, let me write a bad review for it. Because people do that. And it's so frustrating, man. People, people, people test things by their tradition instead of listening for the truth of the word. You know, instead of thinking logically and systematically and going in and really just getting into what the scriptures say, it's like, oh, this don't believe me, this don't agree with my tradition, heretic, one-star review, you know. It's either like five-star reviews or one-star review. <laughs> and it's always because of tradition that I get the one-star review, always, always. And it's not a, nobody goes through systematically and says, this is, this is the point he makes, this is why it's not true. You know, da, 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 da. It's just this is my tradition. Blah, puke it all over the re review. It's not even a review. It's just a slander and a, and a statement of you know tradition, and then one star review. And so I don't like that. You know, it's it's aggravating because I've I, because of all the work I spent on it. And so I want to just at least give a little deterrent while not putting it out of reach for the people that want it. That's really a very, I mean, three dollars is nothing. Uh, it's over 700 some pages. But it's monumental, man. It's needed in the body of Christ. And so get it. I'm not doing this for, for selfish reasons. Get it. We need the truth. And once we have that truth, you know, I wrote a book, Restoring the Biblical Christ. We need that truth. I wrote a book explaining the cross why Jesus had to die. We need that truth. We need the truth tested. You know, Paul says it was in Acts 17, you know, the 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 ones who were in Berea, the Bereans, they were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they received the word, you know, joyfully. They received it and they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were true and so they didn't just accept it and be like yeah paul said it's true but they they and it says these were noble that was a noble a noble action to test what was being said by the scripture and so i'm not saying just do something cause I, but but we need to be more careful with the truth especially in the pentecostal churches uh, there's a vacuum for truth there's we need we need to understand what we're saying. A lot of the stuff, you know, and I, the last church I was going to, you know, God bless them, you know, it was a, a little holiness church. And it was frustrating to me because literally I would sit there and like, literally, like half of the, the scriptures that people were quoting to try to make a point with were misapplied, you know, taken out of context basically they were trying to use the scripture to say something that the bible was not saying in that with that particular scripture you know and it was like man you know like 
half, literally, like half of it. I was like, man, this is a shame. That, but you know, God gives us gifts. You know, he he'll work in you to do something, or maybe to understand the scripture, etc. Not so we can look down on our brother and our sister. God forbid, but so that we can help because we're all members of the same body. But, you know, sometimes there's not, you know, you don't have that avenue to help because there's such oppression. You know, there's such a an enforcement of the tradition to where you just you just got to move around because it's like, okay, nobody wants to, you know, it just is what it is and nobody wants to question the tradition. But you never know what God's going to do, you know, you never know how seeds will grow, so... We need to hope, you know, we need to keep keep hope alive and 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 do all things for edification, you know, try to help one another. If we can't help them, move around, you know, and try to help somebody else. But it's not easy to uh, understand the scriptures all the time, especially a lot of the scriptures that seem to show once they've always saved is, is, uh, is you know, they assert the Bible shows once they've always saved. Those scriptures that they use are not always easy to understand. They'll have scriptures that they say, well, this shows that you just keep on sinning no matter what. And so by that, they say, well, you know, you're just going to keep on sinning, so don't, you know, you know, you shouldn't sin, but you're going to, and so there it is. And, you know, they're, a lot of times, don't make the distinction between willful sin versus sins done in ignorance, you know, etc. The Bible makes clear distinctions along those lines. So you don't willfully sin while you're in Christ. You know, that will make you lose your salvation when you willfully sin after you come to the knowledge of the truth. Hebrews 10, 26-29. Verse 29 says this applies to a person who was, past tense, sanctified by the blood already, but they lost their salvation. But we need to understand these things. So it's not easy but that's I'm telling you it was the Lord's doing this this book is the Lord's doing I'm not taking credit for it my record is with God I just want to be saved you know I was just thinking that before I started making this recording like I just want to be I just want to be in the kingdom you know like I like I was literally visualizing myself tucked away on some little hill somewhere in a little cabin you know because the Bible that we are gonna there's God makes a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 19. You know, uh, a new heaven, new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth. God makes a new heaven and a new earth. There's, we're going to be resurrected in real bodies. Jesus was resurrected with his body. And a lot of people think, and this, is, this just goes to show the ignorance that is going on in a lot of the Pentecostal churches. A lot of people just say, well, you died and then you go to heaven or hell. No. You die and then you wait for the resurrection and then you're going to be resurrected at Christ's return and then after that, that's when we, we uh, have eternal life, when we're raised to life. It's not just a disembodied spiritual existence. We are going to be resurrected with real bodies like Jesus had. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So he's he's the first, and then when he returns, you know, at his coming, the the rest of us who are in Christ will be raised. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 
the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of God and the trump, the trump of God and the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a resurrection when Christ returns. So we're going to have real bodies. Jesus had a real body. He said, you know, touch the, the, the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side, and he ate while he was with them. He was actually a, had a real body. It was just no longer uh, subject to corruption. And we're going to have a real body too. And so it's going to be a real existence. Hallelujah. Wonderful. And I was just, I was like, I just, I can see myself just tucked away, just like, I ain't going to bother nobody. Just, I just want to be there, man. You know, I just want to be there. And uh, we need to strive, man. Nothing, I'm going to tell you, man, there's nothing in this world that's worth missing that, man. We're talking about eternity, eternal life. Not in this crappy environment that we're in now, but eternal life. Peter says in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, you know, we look for a, a, a world to come, you know, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Where Jesus is actually over the governments where we're going to be with our brothers and sisters and the, and the persecution will have stopped and, and the things will be made right and the truth will no longer be shunned and the, the people of God will no longer be trodden underfoot by those who don't want to know the truth We'll be together in sweet fellowship and worshiping God. You know what? I was I was in uh, in my apartment when I lived in Dallas years ago. You know, oh gosh, probably almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago. And I was um, just sitting there watching this Christian movie, just in my living room by myself. And there wasn't nothing in the movie that really stirred my spirit to the you know at all I was just watching but it was like the the spirit of the Lord just came in the you know the anointing you know how you feel the spirit just came on me and I had to stop the movie and get up and go in my room and I just started weeping and praying and the spirit was on me and you know it's beautiful if when you feel the presence of God and that's what I was feeling and it was a realization that eternity it's not about the streets of gold, etc. It's about God, you know. And, and if you've ever experienced the presence of God, just that it's indescribable. Just that I don't know, a living love, uh, you know. Uh, it's just it 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 saturates your being. You're you're encountering God and his and his presence and the, the revelation of him is so undescribably beautiful. It'll put you to tears tears of joy beautiful and you don't want to, that experience to stop <laughs> you know when you're a babe in Christ and this is what I found God will, God will give you that experience a lot you know you just go pray and you just boom there you are and it's just so wonderful uh, and you just you just you yearn for it, you know, like you go around to the churches trying to find that good worship service so you can just 
can get that feeling, you know, like I just want to be in the presence of God. It's beautiful, you know, and then the, the more, the older you get, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, you've had that, that time, you know, and I'm not saying it stops because it doesn't, but it becomes about, you know, we, the relationship is there. You got work to do. presence of God is a beautiful thing and I believe that is what eternity is about it's about experiencing God can you imagine you know the angels they say holy 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 they just just ongoing worship can you imagine just the presence of God just walking around in the presence of God and just you know just ah you know you can't you don't want to miss it, man. I don't want to miss it. I want to be there. We're just here for a little while, man. Take heed to the lesson that I that I was taught to seek God and not wait until not wait until, you know, we're going through a hard time to really seek him. Look at Jesus. Jesus was pressing in in prayer. He prayed a lot. He fasted a lot. You know, and be led by the Spirit. When Jesus fasted for 40 days, it says he was led by the Spirit to go do that. You know, so we got to be led by the Spirit. Don't make it a legalistic thing because that can be torture to yourself. Be led by the Spirit. But in that desire that, hey, I want to, I want you, God. I want the things you have for me. I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference. I want to be pleasing to you. I want to be, I want eternal life. I want to be with you in your kingdom. And press in for that. Let's press in for that. Let's press in. Let's die to ourselves. You know, Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. That taking up to the cross is a death, it's a dying, that was the capital punishment. And I was thinking about it, you know, it's, it's, not only, it's not only a shame, you know, that society is rejecting you, you know, that's a way of them condemning you. So you're walking around with the condemnation of society, a rejection of men, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you too. You know, they said all kinds of things about Jesus. The religious people especially. But the cross, you know, he didn't say take up a piece of wood and carry it around. The cross has an end. It has a goal. And that is to kill you. That is the result. That is the end. That's the finish line of the cross. And so when you're taking up your cross, it's not... Hey, I just I'm just denying myself today, and that's you know, I'm just denying myself. No, taking up your cross is more than that. Taking up your cross is, hey, I'm going to my death. You know. I'm I have my death in perspective here. I'm I'm headed that way. You know, I'm denying myself, taking up my cross, I'm going to my death. This is me moving toward my death. It is the view of death because that's what the cross is it's 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 a it's a capital punishment 
It's a means of capital punishment. And so it's not just a, a denying us, it's a view of our death. So every day when we're taking the cross and following Jesus, that is unto the death. Unto the death. That's what it means. But, I mean, brothers and sisters, it don't matter if we do anything. If we, if we are billionaires and can do anything, fulfill our every desire, we're still going to die. And, and, and it won't be that long until we do. Look at the grave. Go to a, go to a cemetery, beloved. And just walk around the cemetery and look at the graves. You know, many of us have had loved ones that passed on already. You know, friends that have passed. Look at the grave. Look at the tombstones. Life. 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 Over. It's finished. It's over. It's in the books. It's done. Can't change nothing. It is what it is. We all have to give an account to God. You know, let's make it count. And realize, man, it don't matter if I'm suffering or if I, uh, if, if it's hard, if it's painful. Jesus, you know, as I was writing these books, man, I tell you, man, it was getting so hard to me. I'm telling you, it was, it was hard, man. I, I am not exaggerating, man. It was, it was death to myself. That's the way it felt like. Paul says we die daily. I die daily, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I die daily, you know, and that's the way it was, you know, it was like a death, you know, but when I felt myself getting weary, you know, what I would think about was I would think about Jesus and then how he must have been weary and how he pressed on and went ahead and hung on the cross. And when I looked at his suffering, it made my suffering by comparison seem like I'm being a baby and I need to suck it up and I need to press on in and keep on going. And that's what it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. Very powerful text. Hebrews chapter 12 where it says looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. That means, you know, we we start by following him and he is the the outcome of our faith, the resurrection, you know. We follow him with a view of the resurrection like he's resurrected. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the Father. So he, he for the joy that was set before him, he was looking past the cross. He endured it. And then it goes on to say, consider him who endured such contradiction from sinners, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You have not resisted sin unto blood. And what it's saying is, you ain't gone through what Jesus went through yet. And so, when you feel like fainting in your mind, consider Him. Look unto Him. You know, see Him and His suffering. And, and realize what you're going through is not what He went through. And just press on in. Because unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and die, you know, unless it, it abideth alone. But if it die, it'll bring forth much fruit. And we got to die, man. We got to die that the life of Christ may be manifest in our body, you know, and 
to reach people, we have to die because it's not us that's going to reach them. It is us getting out of the way and God working through us in Christ, the spirit of Christ, not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, says Paul. The father in Christ and Christ in us. And by the spirit of God, through Christ Jesus, we are reaching people. But that is because we are out of the way. Because when it comes to our old man, we're supposed to put off the old man that was about our old ways. You know, anytime we get puffed up, we can think about what we did apart from Christ and boast in that if we want to boast. huh? And if we don't have no testimony of deliverance, then that really brings into question, really, what type of salvation do we have? Because salvation is a transition from an old life into a new life in Christ Jesus. And that new life in Christ Jesus is not of ourself. It's because of what Christ did on the cross that our old man is crucified with him, the Bible says. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. The power of sin is broken. And so we can live new and, and live a new life in Christ Jesus. And so it wasn't our own doing, nor is it of us now, but it's of the Spirit of Christ in us. No longer I live, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He says, so I'm crucified, I died with him. When he died, the old man, the old me that was dominated by sin died. That's where it, he brought that to an end right there. That's tied into baptism. Read in Romans chapter 6. Tied, you know, the more I study the Bible, the more I see that they that baptism was an essential part of the New Testament. It's tied into baptism. Read it for yourself. That is the the dying with Jesus and the being raised into new life. Well, that new life is not of ourself. It is of it's Christ in us. And so we can't boast in that. And it's not it's not that being dunked in the water saves anybody. You know, it is it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the power of God that saves a man. But that is the means by which we uh, tap into what God is doing. It is what he has ordained. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. That this is death, burial, and resurrection. You're, you're being made partakers of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And there were times when the Holy Spirit would come, you know, Acts chapter 10 and 11, before baptism, but typically it was, you know, uh, be baptized in the name of the Lord and you'll receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. But even in Acts 10 and 11, when Cornelius and his household received the Spirit before baptism, they still baptized them. need to be baptized but the point is it is a transition and that transition if you want to boast in yourself look before the transition that's you without God so let's don't boast in what God is doing as if it's from ourself thereby stealing the glory of God but let's give glory to God and realize man I ain't nothing without God and if he takes his spirit away from me I know the trash I'm going to do because that's me without Christ 
So I just thank God that I'm no longer I, but it's Christ that lives in me. And I can walk in that new list of life. When that old flesh tries to come back, you kill it by the Spirit. You walk in that life. Let's seek God, man. Let's fix our eyes on things above. And set your affection on things above. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ who is our life will appear, then you'll appear with him in glory. We ought not we ought to count this life here as a loss. You know, this life is a, a burning fuse, a ticking time bomb. This life is we might not even be here for another week. How foolish it is to believe in the resurrection and eternal life and to put so much stock in this here life. Maybe, maybe we all need to just go to the graveyard because here in America we've, we've become so uh, desensitized towards death. You know, it's almost like you know, people don't die unless there's some, you know, cancer or, you know, some rare accident or et cetera, et cetera. But the, on TV and such, it's just like, you know, life goes on, have a party. That's the, that's the social mentality. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that the ones who are, are, are mourning, who go into the house of mourning, are better than those to go into the house of mirth. You know, that's because they realize that this life is temporary. But the eternal life to come. <laughs> Jesus went through it, man. Like, he, he's not... He didn't say, take up your cross and go ahead. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Follow him. Walking in his steps. We're not better than him. We don't have any right to say no. But if we suffer with him, we'll be joint heirs with him. And I tell you, man, just to hear get your mind off of the suffering and get your mind on the words well done good and faithful servant because I tell you man if you can look if you can hear those words ahead of time and then say I want to hear those words man I'm, and if you can keep that day in perspective and eternal life in perspective and that's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 that's the walk of faith. Looking at eternal things. Then this suffering, this present suffering is not going to be worthy to be compared with that. You know, no matter if you, you know, if you live in sin or live for God, you're going to have trouble both ways. better to live for God it's better to deny yourself it's better to die to this it's better to trade in something that is perishing for something that won't perish our creator calls us to eternal life our creator says only to do those things that are good 
we have to deny ourselves. Why? Because our ways are selfish. When the world is dying around us, we'll sit up in our living room and sit there and watch TV and eat Cheetos all day. And there's a righteous work to be done, but we're so self-centered that we can't get away from that that bubble mindset and so God has to has to tell us you got to deny yourself because there's a work to be done he doesn't want us to suffer just to be suffering that's sadistic but it is for a purpose you know even with Job what did Job suffer for not or how many of us that suffer now do we look at Job as an example of God's goodness when a man goes through. And so it wasn't for nothing. It's to help people. But left to ourselves, we ain't helping nobody. That's how jacked up we are. But thanks be to God that we can deny ourselves and sit at his feet and 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 receive of the spirit and walk in the spirit and do things that are good that 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 surpass what we would do otherwise and that god doesn't say anything to do that's wrong everything he says is right and it is an honor to serve him and to be taken beyond our limits to do a good thing in this brief and temporary life So no matter how we suffer, let our testimony be, God, your ways are good, and it is an honor to suffer for doing what is good. Because if it wasn't for you, I'd be spending my days in vanity. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of this calling. And we can have that spirit of Christ tell you brothers and sisters if you don't have the spirit the Bible says we if anybody don't have the spirit of Christ he's none of his but we need the spirit of Christ whereby we cry Abba Father that's that spirit that leans on God we need that spirit that's what it means to be a Christian to be in Christ when you're raised with him that's the the life-giving spirit Quickening spirit says in 1 Corinthians 15. He was made of quickening spirit. You see that life. Walking that life. And just as, you know, that's what he talked about in Philippians 2. We have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That mind is what we need to serve God right. And so if you say, well, I don't have the desire. I, I just can't. It's hard to. need the mind of Christ. Jesus went all the way home. (laughs) He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's the way. And there are men that have gone before us. And there are men that are going beside us now. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go therein, but narrow is the way. Straight is the gate that leads to life. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few 
there be that find it few so we can't look at the majority and say well I, because i do like them i need to you know if i'm not doing like them i must be doing no get your mind off people and put your mind on jesus most people are going to destruction follow jesus and in that day they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth when they see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the prophets, the men of God, going into the kingdom 